Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and it's officially Leo season. No, I don't know much about astrology, but I do know that I'm a Leo, so it's one of the greatest times of the year. However you got here today, audio podcast platform like Apple or Spotify, etc., or watching on YouTube, thank you. Subscribe and rate if you haven't yet. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. And you can also purchase some merch. Click the link in our bio on either of those pages or go to shop.believe.com. There are three shirts available covering our bases, safer out, and catch you soon. All right, let's go through today's batting order. First, we'll be covering our bases. I'll give you some news and call-outs from around the softball world. Then we'll head into today's interview with Victor Anderson. He's covered softball for many years at many different levels. I've been on his podcast a ton, and it was about time we had him on here. So then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week, where we share tips to help us get better. All right, let's get started. Covering our bases. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. First for us today, we're starting with some college movement. So yes, some conference shifts are happening. Colorado is going back to the Big 12. It's where it came from before going to the Pac-12. It's going back. That does mean UCLA, USC, and Colorado are all leaving the Pac-12, leaving nine institutions left in this conference. And I would say this, it it also made me think about what schools don't have a softball program. Because when looking at that list, UCLA, USC, and Colorado, USC and Colorado don't have teams. So between those two, Washington State's the other one that doesn't have a team in the Pac-12. Then you look across the country at TCU. SMU, Rice, Vanderbilt, Miami, Wake Forest, Pepperdine, like the list goes on of some of these institutions that, you know, the shift I'd like to see is for them to add softball to the list in their athletic departments. So we'll see how that goes. Transfers as well. So the big one that was announced recently is Elena Vodder is going to South Carolina. And this is a, a program that made it to the SEC tournament championship ended their season in regionals, went to postseason, played Florida State, and they've actually had several pickups in the transfer portal. You know, it was a big pickup to get Vodder after losing Donnie Goburn, who's now in the pros in the WPF, doing very, very well. So this is big for them. The Gamecocks also obviously have in their back pocket Dawn Staley. You know, she tweeted welcoming Elena Vodder, and she's been a pretty cool aspect to the South Carolina experience. I mean, She went to the SEC tournament for softball. She hosted the softball team last year for the selection show. She's a legend. So I love to see women's sports between basketball, softball, whatever it is, supporting each other. And I know someone else who is excited about this move is a friend of the show, Karen Johns, who was an All-American at South Carolina, as we know. So this is both a team and a player to watch in 2024. Second, just a reminder about the Japan All-Star Series. So you can actually also watch... Elena Vodder with Team USA, August 4th through the 7th in Fukushima, Japan. Again, the two coaches who recruited me back in the day, actually, John Rittman from Clemson and Brian Colsey from University of the Pacific are part of the staff. And I actually think looking at it from the perspective of Elena Vodder, who is making this change, there are several SEC players that she is playing with in this case. Taylor Pleasance from LSU, 
Aaron Koffel from Kentucky, Jada Kearney from Georgia. And then there's also some Pac-12 players that she's played with and against. So Stanford's Nigel Kennedy, of course, who she knows very well, but also Washington's Ruby Malin and UCLA's Jordan Woolery and Megan Grant. So that is an interesting mix. And it's just so cool anytime all the best players in the country can get together and compete on the same side. So I'm excited for that. Third, quick update after weekend one of the Athletes Unlimited championship season. Just a recap. So after one week, week one's complete. Half of the current top 10 in the standings in terms of points. Just want to call out that they are from the Pac-12. Four different schools are represented. So Rachel Garcia in the top spot, Megan Faremo at number four out of UCLA. Anissa Urtez in number five from Utah, Mariah Maison number eight from Oregon State, and then Alyssa Denham in the nine spot from Arizona. Just had to call that out because I think it's very key how we see the Pac-12 influence continue after their time in college softball. Another cool moment that happened in week one was some of the players went to the Cubs game in Chicago. You know, they celebrated the 80th anniversary of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And yes, that is the same league from A League of Their Own, all of our collective favorite movie. Player Maybelle Blair threw the first pitch. She had her shades on. She had her cane with her that was actually made from a baseball bat. She also posed with it like she was going to hit. She was just a legend. Like, it doesn't get cooler than that. And then for some of the AU players, Aubrey Leach also threw out a pitch. Nadia Taylor and Sam Fisher led the song during the seventh inning stretch. So these are all just super fun things. I love seeing collaboration across baseball and softball. From Rosemont to Wrigley Field, this is the content we love to see. And then to bring it home, the WPF Championship Series is coming up August 9th through 14th at Chocoloco Park in Oxford, Alabama. This is the home of the Smash It Sports Vipers. You can get tickets at chocolococopark.com. It's the inaugural season after their exhibition last year. So it's the first official champions that we are going to see crowned. And someone who's been there for the ride this season is today's guest. So let's head into the interview. He is a play-by-play broadcaster, host, and one half of the In the Circle podcast, Victor Anderson. Victor, I think with how many times I've been on your podcast, it was about time I repaid the favor. Uh, I would think so, Jenna, but uh, better late than never, as they say, uh, honor, joy, and privilege to uh, be on your um, your podcast. Yeah, I mean, I always love chatting with you and Eric on In the Circle, and I also love that you two are both such just ambassadors for softball. And I would just ask you, I like to ask this question to anyone who didn't play like college softball, for example, like why softball? How did it come about that you cover this sport? Um, to kind of make a long story short, it started back in 2001 when I was back in college at UCF. So I was working at the student station and UCF had just started their program. It was going to be their first season in 2002. And my, I had a show on the student run radio station at the time. And I got a chance to interview coach Renee Gillespie, uh, so before the opening of the season, about a month before the season started. So that's how I kind of got introduced to the sport. I mean, I was watching kind of sporadically here and there, the Women's College World Series, but I didn't really jump really feet first into the sport until I started broadcasting for UCF as a student. Then I transitioned from there, kind of was out of the game for a few years, kind of focusing on my, my professional career. And then... I jumped back in it in 2011 while I started working with Rollins College in a Winter Park, a Division II school. So that's when I really got the bug going for softball. And then Eric and I kind of got together in 2015 at the UCF, got for what he felt was hosed uh, from hosting a regional. And that was kind of the genesis, if you will, of how Inner Circle really came to be. And, well, here we are in 2023. And we're, we're, people still want to listen to our podcast, as crazy as this sounds. Yeah, I mean, the hot takes are a plenty on In the Circle, I have to say. Yes, most, mostly from Eric, but I, I have some I have some of mine here and there. But, uh, yeah, Eric's the one that's the, uh, the hot take king, so to speak. 
<laughs> well, yes. And in the circle is obviously a huge part of, of what you do, at least how I got connected to both of you. But you do a lot of other things for softball too. So can you, for maybe those who aren't as familiar, kind of give that overview of everything that you do? Well, for the sake of time, I will kind of condense everything that I do. You mentioned play-by-play. I do play-by-play for uh, Stetson University right now uh, with football. I'm, I'm kind of their number two guy, their, their number one. He he does stuff for um, actually for MLS franchise, Orlando City, also um, other ventures. Awesome guy, Evan Weston. Uh, certainly appreciate him giving me feedback on how I can be better at my craft. I also do does some, does some broadcasting this year for the WPF. Uh, which will be finalizing their regular season this week. There's a lot of their games for the Special Sports Vipers, uh, where they were playing in Alabama. Um, and I've also done, I'm also dabbling a little bit into a PA War Public Address Announcing for UCF Volleyball. I do also some broadcasting for youth softball, youth baseball. I fill in for Eric when he needs a day off, which seems like it's rare nowadays with all the stuff he's doing. But and there's no dead time for for me, it, it seems. And oh, by the way, I juggle a regular nine to five. So all of these different hats that I try and and it somehow I somehow make it work. Yeah, I know that grind. And yeah, it, do, do you ever look back at a season like a college season, for example, and be like, how in the world did I get through that? Like, how did I make it all work? I don't know, but we made it. Um, a lot of time management, a lot of prayer, and a lot of caffeine, and not necessarily <laughs> in that order. I was kind of sitting back thinking about it this past weekend after I finished my final broadcast with the Vipers, and I realized it's August. We're getting ready to go to August. I'd been and I've been broadcasting nonstop since last September, and I'm going to take a couple weeks off, kind of relax a little bit, and then jump right back into it again at the end of the month. So. Uh, no, no rest for the weary, uh, so to speak. Exactly. It actually reminds me of my travel ball days because it was like, yeah, you play nationals in August, get a couple weeks off, and then you're back at it essentially for fall ball. Yeah. And now I'm like, how did I end up back in this situation again? But you know what? I guess it's because we love it. Yep. If we if you if we didn't love what we did, we wouldn't be doing it as much and as often as we do it. Exactly. And I think it's cool that there's more and more, um, I don't know, of an appetite for it. Because I, I don't know about you guys, but you and Eric have always seemed really supportive of other podcasts about softball, other people in the media who are covering softball. And I feel the same way, where it's like, if I find out there's a new podcast, I'm excited about it, because I'm like, great, more people want to talk about it. And I've always gotten that impression from the two of you. Well, I think with us, since we were like the first real true softball Brock podcast out there, we had nobody else to kind of reference in terms of, okay, how do we handle this particular subject? How do we dabble into this? What do we do about, we're kind of just making up the blueprint as we went along about it. And the first to tell you how long our podcast has been around, we were on Podbean or Podomatic actually when we first started. And when we would get like 200 downloads an episode, Eric and I would be absolutely going nuts. <laughs> it wasn't until, ironically enough, it wasn't until we had Coach Alistair back when she was in Minnesota to start the year, start that 2017 season. Was That was when we really got jumping. And then we were getting bigger numbers week after week after week. And then we did a... Selection Sunday preview show before that infamous night and in the selection show. And then we record the Monday after the selection show. And the line that I think kind of got us on the map, and I'll paraphrase this, along with Victor Anderson, I'm a PO to Eric Lopez. And I'm like, well, here we go. <laughs> and boom, off we went. So, and then about a month later, we get picked up. Uh, by Fast Pitch News, we signed a deal with them, and the rest, as they say, is history. We've been rocking and rolling ever since that moment. But it's really been great to see other outlets like ESPN, like yourself, uh, D1 Softball, to see all of them really embrace the podcasting platform because that's the next wave of media going on right now is that instant accessible content that you don't have to wait until 
six o'clock, 11 o'clock to watch it on ESPN or have to wait to read it in a newspaper or get, you can get clips instantly on your phone. You get, you can watch highlights 30 minutes after a game comes to an end, you get instant information right there. And to see everybody really embracing that and kind of wanted to the same thing for the sport that we do is that's the promotion and the growth of this game. It's been very great to see, and I'm kind of excited to know that I was, I mean, small, I'm a small part of what this sport has really grown and become over the, ever since we started this. You you both definitely have been. And I would say, I mean, shout out to Coach Alistair, leave it to a Stanford alum to make an impact. Of had course. to say it, had to say it. Of course, um, of course. But you're 100% right, man. 2017, it, and for those who might not remember, we're talking about when they were the number one team in the country, Minnesota was, and still didn't get to... A top eight seed, so that was that was a wild, uh, wild journey. But you're right. What a time for us now. Fast forward all these years. It's it's wild that we went from recording a selection Sunday preview, posting it that night, and then people listening to it with hours before the selection show, to us doing it live, bringing on guests, and you're getting that instant reaction to the selection show because we got to watch it like everyone else does. And to see, to see my face when I told Eric Fullerton was going to be in the tournament, when they were going to Clemson, you couldn't think of that possibility four or five years ago. That was unheard of doing something live and instantaneous. And now you're seeing everyone else jumping on the bandwagon because they understand they, the people want the content, the people want the reactions, the people want, the real to hear the real true thoughts on what you're seeing as well because they're probably thinking the same thing you are they're probably having a strong disagreement one way or the other and that's what makes this platform such so viable because we get allow, allow people the opportunity to give themselves a chance to express how they feel and we get to have a healthy debate a healthy conversation completely agree i mean that's part of the reason i like joining in the circle you know all the time i feel like kenzie and i are like your pack 12 people and i love it <laughs> yes we agree and we appreciate you and kenzie being our pack 12 people well well pack nine for right now oh. in the situation the, the, we understand the situation at hand true however at least grateful on my end that between ucla usc and colorado Two of them don't have a team. I'd rather they have a program than not have a program. But at least right. it doesn't affect softball as much. Obviously, UCLA does. But that could be an entire another episode. Yep, that's another subject for another day. <laughs> but with that being said, Victor, you do a lot of the broadcasting. Obviously, the podcast is a huge piece. What do you like better, broadcasting or podcasting? As much as I love podcasting, I don't like being up beyond 1 o'clock in the morning when I absolutely positively have to. So I prefer the broadcasting piece a lot better. It, it, I'm one of those people where I will spend two whole days like prepping and getting ready for a broadcast, and I'll be mad that I had this one little antidote about a player that I didn't get to say because either the game was a blowout, either the game was so close, or the player was injured. I never, they never got in the game, so I couldn't talk about it. The broadcasting part, it, it's something I feel. I've been ingrained in it since I was little. I was small. I always felt that I was kind of, kind of channeled and led into this path. So the broadcasting, it's I get excited about. It. I mean, I, a lot of people may not know this. I used to play football in high school, uh, offensive lineman. So the game day was. I was always get excited because you always you you studied the film. You had the practices. You knew what you were going to run. You get to the game. You already have everything set and just going a matter of going out out there on the field and trying to execute and give 100%. And I try to apply the same thing to my broadcasting. I have my preparation done. I have everything set. I have my pregame routine. Some call it superstitions. I call it a routine. And I really channel myself and, okay, we we did all the work. Everything's ready. Just go out there. The The fun part is actually getting on the air and talking about it. It, the, the work is preparing for the broadcast. The fun right. is actually the broadcast actually itself, unless something goes haywire on the technical side. And that's a whole nother, again, that's a whole nother subject for another day. But the broadcast, <laughs> if I've had to choose 
broadcasting. Ten, 10 out of 10. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there with the technical stuff, but you're so right in the comparison to the game day feel. It's it's one of those things where you, you mentioned it for some of like the live shows that you do, but it is live, you know, and there's a certain challenge in that with doing broadcasts. That's a little bit different maybe than than a typical podcast episode. Obviously, if you're doing a live show, that's a little different too. But yeah, they're just different. But I agree with you that it feels a little bit more like a game when you're actually covering a game. Like it feels like your own sort of competition in your own um, arena, if you will. You're competing against yourself and the standard that you set the previous time because you always want to get a little bit better than what you did the previous time. And at the same point, you're setting a baseline for where you want your next broadcast to be. And I, when doing it at the WPF, I really found myself to being a little bit more judicious in terms of, okay, what did I talk about last time? How can I weave? What story can I weave into this particular event? What was this particular play doing? For example, Texas on Sunday, Texas Smoke, they had their player jerseys, meaning they didn't have the regular names on the back of the jersey. They had their nicknames. That's kind of inspired by Major League Baseball's Players Week. And, of course, one of their co-owners, Brandon Phillips, multi-time all-star. You know him as that dude, BP. So I got to talk to my partner, Jessica Burroughs. Thankfully, it was a pitching change, so we kind of get to stay on the field. We we got the ping pong about that back and forth in terms of that aspect. So it's those little things that you look forward to because you not you know you know this, Jenna. No two games are gonna be entirely the same. Every game has its own different pace and flow and feel and peaks and valleys, and how you handle those moments when you are faced with them determines the level of your performance, whether it be good or whether it be not so good. And that's the same thing that the players and coaches are dealing with. It's just in a different way. Right. Um, yes. And I'm, I'm with you on being frustrated when you can't get certain things in, but you have to call the game how it goes, right? right? Like that's also the job. So the point is to prepare for as much as possible so that in any given circumstance, you have something in your back pocket to bring it out. And that's the same thing also as a player. It's like, I might not bunt in a game, but I'm definitely going to be bunting and making sure I can do that beforehand and practice leading up to it. You know, it's just you have to kind of keep all your tools sharp at the same time. As like as like I say in Flemish, Florida, all the time, it's like bringing an umbrella in the summertime. It's better to have the umbrella than I need to bring it out when it starts to rain. Then when you see it raining, you know, have you like, then all of a sudden you're outside, you're drenched, you're looking like a wet dog, and friends look at you like, dude, what are you doing? Come on, <laughs> you know what we need to do here. Let's go. That's so true. It's so true. And okay, you mentioned the WPF. Definitely want to talk to you about that because I think it's awesome you got to be a part of the coverage, especially in the first full season yes. that the league has had. What have been your biggest takeaways so far in the regular season? The number one biggest thing is just the overall investment in terms of all four ownership groups in terms of making the league as a whole successful. And while doing that, making sure that individual franchises have success, the crowds that were in Oxford over for the Smashing Sports Vipers, those crowds have been tremendous. And of course, Oklahoma City, the mecca of softball, it's no surprise that when the league announced they're going to put a team in Oklahoma City, that you knew that ticket sales, but when they played both in Oklahoma City and over in Edmond, uh, it's going to be tremendous support there. And then, of course, U-Triple-S-A. And then Texas playing. And underrated fact, Jen, about this, you have a Division II ballpark with uh, Central Oklahoma, who had a tremendous season. You have a Division III program at Concordia University of Texas that hosted the Texas Smoke. Of course, you have Chakalaka Park, which has hosted a Division II tournament at various tournaments throughout the past. And, of course, U-Triple-S-A kind of stands for itself, as well as Oklahoma City and Hall of Fame Stadium. So the fact that you have this mixture of stadiums getting to host some of the best players in the world helps grow the league in its first full season. And also, I'm very glad to see the names that are being invested in this league. Of course, led by the commissioner, Lauren Chamberlain, a reference, Brandon Phillips and uh, Jay Cargo, who lead the Texas Smoke. And you have what Oklahoma City has done with Tina Floyd and so on and so on. 
Now, the biggest thing is going to be making sure that you find other like-minded people who want to continue to grow the league and the sport. That's the biggest thing. And I think the MPF had troubles with before its unfortunate demise is that you've had people in the MPF that were in it just to say, hey, I'm a professional league. Uh, yeah, I own a team in a professional league. Not really wanted to make the league and that organization grow because you have the components there. It's just about or how much are you willing to invest in it to make it profitable for everybody? So as long as we have those pieces in place and we find the same like-minded individuals, the league is going to grow. And I, ha- I feel very confident in that. I'm just fortunate in terms of being a part of, small part of it in the broadcasting concept. Uh, hopefully uh, Jessica Burroughs and Alex Powers uh, will allow me to be a small part of it because I got to work with both, got to work with both of them phenomenal people, awesome broadcasters. And uh, hopefully I didn't bog them down too much uh, with my commentary this season. I'm sure everyone listening and watching knows who they are, but if not some Florida state, just studs that have really started to contribute a lot on the broadcasting side, which is, I love to see, I love seeing more and more, former players get involved on the media side, but also even in the coaching ranks, you see so many people, like so many more women going back to their alma maters or just like continuing in the sport. So I think that's, that's a huge piece too. Absolutely. Not only that, you're seeing players who are comfortable being in front of the camera more. And I think with the last decade or so with the explosion of softball on television, particularly with ESPN, ESPN plus, you're seeing more players who were comfortable being in front of the camera as a player transitioning into being more on camera as an analyst. You mentioned Alex Powers, her work with the ACC Network, Jessica Burroughs, Lisa Ocasio, just to give a few examples. But you're seeing that next wave of player realizing, okay, I can still be involved in the sport, but I don't have to do it as a player. I could be as a coach. I could do it as a commentator. I can do it as a instructor there are more avenues for former players to continue to grow and develop the sport than what we had just say when you were back when you were playing and it's it is great to see that players have more avenues to continue growing the sport and continue giving back to the sport that has given them so much and to be clear just because you're a good player doesn't mean you're going to be good as a commentator but right. what I love to see is when these athletes put the work into their craft as a broadcaster the way they did as an athlete and to see that all come together, that's when it's like, wow, this is a really cool thing for the sport. Certain, the thing, and I think you bring up a break point, Jenna, certain, you could be an amazing athlete, but your commentary, you may not catch, it, catch on to it right away or out at all. As opposed to you may be average you may have contributed here or there but we put we put a microphone in front of you and you could just pick up things just like that and it all goes back to the play-by-play person man or woman to give the athlete a level of comfort and letting them know that hey i'm here i'm here to make sure you succeed because if you succeed i succeed and if we succeed the broadcast succeeds there are a lot of broadcasters, as you know, Jenny, you've had plenty of them on the show, on your podcast, that understand that when you have a former athlete there, they, the fan wants to listen to the athlete's perspective on the game. It's your job as the announcer to keep your mouth shut, let them analyze what they saw, and then you pick it up from there. Yeah, let everyone play to their strengths. Like, let the experts in whatever it is be the experts. And, I mean, yeah, it's like it's almost like being a battery, too. Like, a pitcher and a catcher, you Mm -hmm. have to be on the same page. You have to – you're in it for each other's success. Like, it all – I feel like I always, in my head, go back to those metaphors because that's how I understand it. Right. But it is true. It's a valid point because when – if one of you is not on the same wavelength, it messes everything up. When if yeah. you're if your analyst wants to go one way, but the game is directing differently, you're gonna you're gonna miss yourself passing it like ships in the night. As opposed to myself, I'm a play by play man, and I'm not seeing what the analyst is seeing. 
then both of you are going to step on each other's toes and it's going to make for a very clunky broadcast. So it's kind of understanding what they're looking for, what they're trying to get. And that's what makes, that's what separates those broadcasters at the bottom, near the lower tier to those broadcasters that excel in each other tiers. And you get to the elite broadcasters that we talk about, like a Beth Mowers, Eric Lopez, Chris Plank, so on and so on, who really master not only the craft, but understand what the fans want and what they need in a certain situation. Because if you can't figure out what the fans want to hear or what they want to know, that's when the broadcast starts to go downhill. People start to tune you out. Mm. That's very true. That's very true. I also think it's helpful when the live environment feeds into the broadcast, I think. I mean, I much prefer, for example, to be live in an event than in a studio, right? Because you get the feeling of the crowd. You can kind of understand, like, what is the energy that the players are, are dealing with or that they're creating mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And I'm glad to hear that the crowds have been good for WPF and your experience. And I'm not surprised about OKC either. You said that earlier. Going to the World Series this past June, there were so many people who just buy tickets. They have season tickets. They go every year. It doesn't even matter who is actually in the World Series. And then you have those like very intense, devoted, loyal fan bases on top of it. So it's a very cool combination. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you've had that experience as well. Right. And I think what you brought up in terms of being live there and being in a studio, you have to match the energy of what you're seeing out on the site when you're in the studio because fans can quickly tell if your energy is low if you're in a studio as opposed to if you're on site but that's gonna that's gonna be regardless no matter where you are you have to match your energy to the situation and i feel fans don't want to be cheated of a quality broadcast regardless if both announcers are on site or if you're or if one announcer is on on site or the others in the studio or they're both in the studio you still have to give that that effort and you have to give the fans what they're paying to see and that's seeing some great great quality action for the best players in the world well and that's the that's why they're watching they want to feel like they're a part of it too yes so that's that's our job to a certain degree yeah Yeah, i totally agree yeah that's why we when the fans come out they have the dizzy bat races they have the dance contest (laughs) just now jess and i have had some very interesting commentary about uh the dancing contest and uh what you should and shouldn't do during a a dizzy bat race that i've been on air when we've gone into uh next half bidding so uh as long as you can you need to match the atmosphere and what the fans are presenting you and that will definitely add a extra layer of authenticity to a broadcast I love that. It makes it more fun for us, I think, too, to talk about those things. I mean, I like to talk about a good walk-up song uh, if it's if it's happening, you know, and if, yes. I don't know if everyone can hear it, but I'm like, everyone should appreciate this, right? So, yes, yes all the little things. Little things like that. That's what, the little things like that that make a broadcast go that much better. Yes, I agree. Where would you want to see like- expansion teams in the WPF? Oh, if I'm being selfish here, I would like to see, I would definitely like to see a franchise somewhere in California because we all know how Californians are passionate about this sport and the level of uh, authentic, authentic joy that they get in watching the game. I would like to see one in Georgia, potentially, have mm. a nice little because you already got the Florida side with you, Triple SA. You could add Georgia to it. And then two other franchises, Minnesota. I feel that's a good. I, I feel with all the Golden Golfers that I've seen in the WPF with Amber Pfizer and Autumn Peace, it feels like it makes sense that you could add a Minnesota team or some team in the Midwest to get that Midwestern experience in. And for the final one, Probably Arizona. Mm. Imagine having a team in Arizona full of Wildcats and Sun Devils on that team. <laughs> that would be that would be a team. That would be one team. I would just be interested to see what would happen. Just myself personally. Yeah, I think that'd be interesting too. And I, if there is a California team in the mix with that, you kind of recreate that UCLA Arizona 
sort of dynamic potentially on the pro level. Um, Those are interesting. Those are really interesting. I think Chicago could make sense too, just given the facilities. I know they work with Athletes Unlimited um, using... uh, Yeah, using Rosemont. Yeah, so like there's that, but you know, you mentioned Midwest, so I think of that as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options. There are a lot of places where softball is really exploding and it's really taking off in numbers with youth participation and pro college programs. I, we could have a program in North Carolina or South Carolina with what Charlotte and South Carolina and Clemson have done over the last few years. You have multitude of options in terms of expansion, but it goes back, Jenna, to my point earlier. You have to find the right people who are invested in the sport, who want to invest in the players and the league, because we could talk about expansion all we want. If you find the wrong people, that's going to set that expansion franchise up for failure even before it starts. But if you have the right people in place, you're giving themselves a foundation to be successful both on and off the field. Mm. It's like any business. There are good hires. There are bad hires, like people that are a fit who aren't a fit. Like that's the case for any type of business. And I think you hit on it too when you're talking about all these different locations, the the fan base that has grown there already from college softball, because yes, it is capitalizing on that. That is the most visibility we have on the sport right now. So yes, let's capitalize on that. Like the fact that there's a Texas team with the smoke and the OKC spark, you have that Oklahoma-Texas rivalry. Amazing. Like, let's build on it. We don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. Exactly. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to kind of fine-tune it and make the wheel more efficient than what it was originally. Right. Right. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And you've talked about, too, the not only the different sort of college influence, but also you mentioned other divisions and even utilizing those facilities in the WPF. You guys cover D2 quite a bit on In the Circle. You have D2 Tuesdays, and I, I appreciate the attention that you both give to that. And I know you mentioned you've, you've worked and covered some D2 as well in your past as a broadcaster. Why is that spotlight on other divisions important to you? Because we would be cheating softball fans out of the entirety of the game if we just talked about division one and talking about certain conferences in d1 and we made that a mission from the onset of our podcast when we started it back in i'll I'll tell you a story about how we started it i'll go back to your question so we started it in earnest in summer 2015 this was after ucf got eric felt job that of hosting Notre dame hosted that year and eric wanted to do a podcast to kind of highlight what should be going on in softball. So we started it unofficially July 2015. We had a couple guests. We have some interviews that are way, way deep cut versions. But we really didn't start the podcast until February 2016. The first player we ever had on the podcast was Rollins pitcher Nikki Fogel. That was when I was broadcasting at Rollins College. That happened to be the year Rollins made their first and still only trip to the Super Regionals. They knocked off West Florida to get to Super Regionals. They lost to eventual national champion North Alabama in the Super. So in a couple of very exciting games. We made it a point to talk about Division 2. Not number one because there are D2 fans who listen, who watch softball, who follow softball. And also there's great action in Division 2 as well. And People don't know that unless they hear it. And that's why we really talked about Division 2 in earnest a little bit. And then uh, we kind of broke off into D2 Tuesday because there are fans who listen to who watch Division 2 and don't get the same amount of coverage, amount of attention as their uh, higher ca- uh, their counterparts of Division 1. And and also we kind of did that now with Division 3 and 
And it's NAIA. We kind of started talking about a little NAIA this year. Emily Cerny, who's an all-time leading winning winning pitcher in NAIA, she is a part of OKC Spark, and her head coach, Jalen Wallen, is the pitching coach for Oklahoma City. So that was a very fun story. That I was whole. I was selfishly. I was hoping I would get to see her pitch when Oklahoma City played UTSA a couple of weeks ago. That did not come to fruition. But yeah, that's that's kind of why we wanted to talk about those that talk about more Division Two. And there's great action in Division Two. But also State traditional program, North Georgia won the national championship with Mike Davenport. University of Tampa, right about an hour and a half from me in, uh, in Tampa, with number one team in the nation. Nova Stop Easter knocked them off. They've had a tremendous run in the last three years with Julie LaMare. Then you go out west in your neck of the woods, Cal State San Marcos, they made it there. Dominguez Hills made it the year before. Uh, of course, Concordia, California with Krista Rosenthal, they're always going to be in the mix. They're, and, of course, we mentioned Central Oklahoma, the Broncos, who – they made it to the D2 World Series this past year in Chattanooga. There is great softball everywhere on all levels. You just have to go out, look for it, and find it. And you will find that those games, those teams are just as talented, just as fun, just as scrappy as those that you hear about on ESPN and your other um, outlets. It's so true. There are so many ties that people don't realize too between like that aren't just D1, but there are ties from D2, D3, NAIA to a lot of other programs that maybe they are D1 or maybe they're not. Like, for example, I remember year one, season one of this show, one of my old coaches, she was my assistant, Claire Sua Amundsen. Um, she played at UCLA, won a national championship. You know, she was one of my assistants at Stanford. She's been the head coach at Cal State East Bay. For a while mm-hmm. and so she gave me some insight into that d2 world and then even my senior year in high school sort of that through that time frame i played on a travel team called the jets and one of the coaches was also the head coach of biola university which really? at that time was how i learned at all about like naia and some of the other levels so it is there are so many more ties than you think there are yeah. And it's such a much bigger part of the softball world than I think a lot of people think, especially when they're getting recruited. We're all interconnected in some way. We just may not realize how truly interconnected we are until you realize, oh, so-and-so knows so-and-so. I didn't know Kat Osterman had a relationship professionally with Mike Davenport until Coach Davenport coached Woody Pride a few years ago. There's those there's those relationships that we don't realize that are out there until you actually go out and find them. And that's what makes seeing a Brianna Busby from D2 Cameron Cameron getting a chance to play next to a Shaslanal or Haley Lee. I mentioned Emily Cerny, who gets the chance to play with who gets to be on a team with her head coach as a part of the coaching staff. If that's if that's not one of the coolest things. I don't know what else to tell you. That that's just that's just some of those things that those some of those storylines that you, if you really follow the sport, you get to see stories like that happen where the casual fan may not be like, oh, who's that? Oh, did they go? No, okay, yeah, I'm, I, I haven't heard of them before. But people like me, that's that's those are the stories that we look for. Yes, yes, and the thing about everything that we're talking about too is like. This is visibility as well. So you guys doing D2 Tuesdays, for example, that's more visibility to those programs. Mm-hmm. And I think that part is important for people when they're trying to get recruited because there's this D1 or bust mentality and it's not necessarily about the fit and about what's going to be best for that person. But if you actually see more yep. and learn more about these programs and you realize like that the competition or what if some of these schools have the perfect program for you academically that you've been interested in for a while and all of those types of things. It's like, you're not going to necessarily know unless people cover it. It's harder to find. So that's why I appreciate you and Eric for doing that coverage. And thank you. And I think the biggest thing, Jenna, for me is that not everybody's going to be blessed enough to have a chance to play D1. The problem is, and this is again, another topic for another day, we have, parents and travel ball coaches who are preaching that ex- that exact philosophy that you talked about, D1 or bus. 
if you just open your eyes and realize there's great softball that could be if you if you want to play in the state of Florida and you can't get into Florida, Florida State, UCF, there's an entire conference of great softball in Florida called the Sunshine State Conference. You got programs like Tampa. You got St. Leo with Aaron Kimberg, who I got a chance to know. Rollins College, which is about 15 minutes away with Christine uh, Rosal of Fevers, who had a great program. You got Nova Southeastern, got Florida Tech. You have great softball. If you don't want to leave in the state of Florida, you can play Division II, or you got the Sun Conference NAIA, you got Southeastern, you got Weber. You have conferences in your home state that you may not be aware of that could provide you a better fit in terms of softball, academic fit, and you get to be closer to home. And a lot of players are so focused on, I got to get, and I play in the SEC. I got to play in the Big Ten. I got to go to Oklahoma City. Hey, you're competing for a national championship or trying to get a scholarship or trying to graduate just like everyone else. Your path may be different, but you just have to realize what is in your best interest. What is the right fit for you? Because players try and go, they go one place expecting something. They get their year. It's not what they think it is. They go put in their name in the transfer portal. They go to another location and they, and it's like a hamster and it's the hamster in the wheel cycling itself. So it all goes back to finding the right fit initially. And then if something happens for whatever reason, then you put your name in a portal and then try to find that better fit for you as a player, as a student athlete, and where you want to go career-wise. Yes. It's this interesting balance that I think you have to strike, and you have to do it at a young age because you're making this decision you know, as a teenager. Right. But of dreaming big and also having that sort of self-awareness and understanding yourself and what you need and what is going to make you feel like you're in a good position um, and a lot of times we talk about a lot of alums will say it was, you know, it's not just a four year decision. It was a lifetime decision for me. People transferred to, et cetera. But like that, those relationships that you get from college do end up translating through the rest of your life. That's not to put pressure. It's just to, to hopefully encourage people even more to look for the right fit versus trying to force something. Having a 14, 15-year-old make a decision that important is going to require a lot of time, a lot of prayer, a lot of effort, and having the right people in place to make the decision that is best for them. Too many times we see the parents, the ones that are saying, oh, my kid's a D1 athlete. My kid's a D1 athlete. I'm like, is your kid really doing the things that a D1 athlete should be doing? If the answer to any of those questions is no, then you're not a D1 athlete. But parents have to be honest with themselves, and sometimes they're not. And that's why it all goes back to finding the right people who will give you a honest perspective and doing so out of love for what you are and wanting the best for you, not just doing it to say, oh, I got another kid going to the SEC. Oh, I got this kid going to Oklahoma. He's got a 2025 going to UCLA. No, 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 no. You want to find the best fit for the kid because you want them to be in the best position where they can be successful, where they can thrive in that next chapter, not just to get your own clout. And I'll step on my soapbox <laughs> before I go any further because as you can tell, Jen, I'm a little passionate about that particular <laughs> subject. I don't know if you heard that. I don't know that came off to you or not. Uh, I mean, fair enough, though. Fair enough. Because when we talk about growth of the sport, um, it, it also starts at that youth level. And the decisions that they make does feed into, you know, where softball is going to go in the future, too. So I think it it is something that um, it's an individual decision, but it's something that we as people who are part of this community should and do care about because it affects the community and sort of the what we love about the game, you know, as well. Yeah, and I think players and parents and everybody else will understand we need to put the players as the priority. The game yeah. and the players, those should be the two priorities when it comes to making this sport better. Giving the game a better I giving the game a better platform, a bigger platform, making it more accessible to everyone. And with the players who are playing it, starting from 
the travel ball level, giving them the proper path and letting them understand it's not about it's not about how, what age you are all American. It's about your development, understanding and getting those lessons in place where 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you can lurk back, you can look back on those moments that you had and do so with a smile and say, I had a pretty good time playing with that team. Well, yeah, we won a lot too. Right. Right. Because every time I yeah. talk to somebody about what they miss most, it's usually has nothing to do with winning for that reason too. And you mentioned it too, uh, in terms of honest feedback from coaches early on, I would also add constructive because yes. this isn't to say, I mean, people like Kat Osterman have had people tell them when they were young, like, Hey, you're, you're not cut out for pitching. Obviously they were hey. wrong. <laughs> right. So it's yeah. not about, it's not like harsh or um, unfounded feedback. It's like really constructive, thoughtful feedback that you're looking for. Right, but I think the parents, today's age of parents, are so busy telling their kids, you're number one, you're the greatest ever, and don't let anybody tell you else otherwise, that even if you give criticism that is constructive and can help them be better, the parent is automatically going to reject that because the coach is trying to say, oh, the coach thinks there's something wrong with my child. There ain't nothing wrong with my child. That's not preparing them for what's going to happen when they go out in the real world to get a real job. And then you're trying to do a project. Your boss is saying, hey, this is what we need to do. And they have no idea what's going to happen. So it's up to the parents to understand that coaches are going to recruit or unrecruit a kid because of how you behave. Hmm. Coaches do that all the time. And it's the God honest truth. A coach will love a kid. How they play, how they present themselves, how they're interacting with their teammates, how they're respectful to the umpires, how they're respectful to their opponents. But if the parents are in the stands acting a complete opposite, cross them off the list, let somebody else deal with that problem. And it's unfortunate because there are many talented athletes out there that don't get those opportunities because it's the parents that are ruining it for the athletes. Yeah. Culture is too important for a coach to want to risk mm-hmm. something like that. And we see it play out every single year in some form in terms of a storyline of, of how that's what maybe got certain teams to a certain place or what held them back from a certain place. Right. So yes. it's it's too important for coaches to ignore it. Coaches are not going to let one run at it. Is that old adage? One run, run bad apple spoils a whole bunch. Same is true in softball. If you have two or three individuals who are in it for their own personal gain and have parents and other people who are feeding that to them that's going to fester in a locker room a whole season it could fracture a locker room and unfortunately we've seen so many times over the last few years it costs good people their jobs and it's an unfortunate circumstance but that's the nature of the sport that we're living in right now Honestly, too, a lot of these people who are in the WPF or who made it to the pro level or the international level, from the most part, from what I can tell in the conversations I've had, people I've known or played with, they have good families that <laughs> weren't necessarily forcing certain things. Not yes. everyone, right? It, it's, it's not like a blanket statement by any means, but like I have noticed a bit of a consistency there where there'll be lots of times they'll be like, yeah, they never pressured me to do A or B. And then they're the ones who ended up being the cat Ostermans of the world. Right. So it's, it's just something to keep in mind for everybody. Parents are best to let the kid decide how they want to handle things and support them. No matter what the venture is, those are the ones who have the most enjoyment in those adolescent years and will eventually grow into the cat Ostermans, the Mary Ico Bowles, the Jade Jeffersons that we get to see on this national stage. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I know you and I could keep going for hours because that's who we are. <laughs> on, this, on this subject, yes. On this subject, yes. <laughs> on many softball subjects, let's be honest. But Touché. I do this game that I um, play with everyone to wrap up that comes on the show. It's called Safer Out. And basically, I'll bring up a topic. I'll ask you uh, if you like it or if you agree with it, you'll call it safe. If you don't, okay. then you'll call it out. Okay, let's go. All right. First one is NIL. Safe or out? Safe. All about the athletes 
And most athletes utilize the money from NIL to help benefit other organizations or utilize that to rechannel it into other platforms. NIL, I'm safe on that. Okay. Do you think there is anything that could be adjusted with the current state of the way things are? The thing is, Jenna, you can adjust it, you can regulate it, but it's always going to be those people that try to skirt around those rules. So no matter how tight the regulation is going to be, there will always be people that find a way to, to find a loophole somewhere, to try and find a way, a workaround of a certain situation. But as long as the institutions are keeping it level and platform and able to make sure that they're giving the athletes the best chance to utilize their name, image, and likeness to their particular benefit, then I don't see any problem with it, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. That was the first one. Uh, second one is bat flips. Safer out. Safe. I'm for, I'm a, I'm a person who likes to like people to express themselves and I, I'm someone who I love passion in the game. As long as it's making sure that you're passionate for your team, what you're doing, pumping up your fan base, nothing disrespectful. I have no problem with bat flips. And I, rem I remember when the whole Sam Shaw situation took place. I'm like, hey, I love it. More attention for the sport. Give me more, give me more bat flips. But there are people, there will be people who are like too traditional, like put your bat down, trot around the bases, eyes down, looking towards the next base. Bat flips safe. All right. I like the decisiveness that you had on these. Like I love the I love that. Good umpiring. Thank you. I was oh I'm kind of an official back in door on the side, so it is what it is. So there you go. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you again, Victor. This was fun. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Um, I can get you off my back. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> glad that we got to chat. <laughs> now she says how she really feels, folks. <laughs> well, Jenna, from, but seriously, Jenna, we, we are, I'm certainly glad to be on a, your podcast. And we uh, we appreciate you being on our podcast. Of course, we we can see, we don't consider you a, um, a guest. We can see you a friend of the show. So, Anytime you want to come on, crash the podcast, heck, co-host for Eric, give him a co-host for Eric, give me a show off. I will gladly cede uh, my uh, seat in the podcasting uh, area to you. But again, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, hopefully we will just be the first of many times to get to be on the show. Of course, plenty to come. That's for sure. I'm glad to finally get Victor on the podcast because you all know that I love strong women, especially in sports. But I also appreciate men who support women's sports because the more the merrier on this train. So with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about investing. You know, when it comes to pro softball and the WPF, Victor talked about how important it is to really invest in each team, in each franchise. And I think that was key. I want to emphasize this concept. Because when we think of investment, we often first think of maybe money and giving that monetary contribution. But really, there are multiple ways to invest in something. It can be your time and energy, anything from helping increase awareness to providing education, creating, ideating, even giving feedback, just so many different options for how you can help. And I really believe that we need all kinds of investment to be successful in the long run, even from profit, of course, but also all the way to like job satisfaction for someone who's spending their days working on this. Sometimes, you know, when I thank guests at the end of the interview, for example, you've probably heard them thank me for what I do for our sport. And at first, I, I didn't really fully understand it. I was like, oh, okay, thank you. I appreciated it. But it's not like I donated millions of dollars or something like that. But when I thought about it more, I realized that I do invest in other ways. And so do a lot of others who do what I do on the media side. And that makes an impact too. No matter how you're investing, I think it comes down to why you're investing. If it's just to check a box, then I think it's only going to take you that far. But if it's to fulfill a purpose and there's a vision behind it, then I think you're more likely to get where you want to go. 
So just invest what you can. Invest to get the best because I think the universe knows and it'll try to help. So that's it. Invest. That's the foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, part of Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, wherever you listen, including Believe.com and YouTube too. Subscribe to the show, rate the show, and if you liked it, write a review for it. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Believe in Softball. Again, that's B-L-E-A-V. You can reach out to me personally on Twitter at JennaBacera01 and Instagram at JennaBacera as well. As always, thank you for tuning in and catch you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.